Hello and welcome to Fundamentals, the podcast that explores pop culture one conversation at a time. I am your host, Harley. Joining me for a fascinating discussion on the legendary video game Shenmue, it's Ben Reed. Ben and I got talking over Twitter after the Legend of Zelda episode went out a few weeks ago, and in that discussion, we got talking about video games in general. Ben brought up Shenmue as one of these games that's an underappreciated classic. It's a video game that has so much to offer to its players. It was incredibly innovative for its time, and in many ways paved the way for quite a few platforms and video games to come in the future. In this episode, we explore all of that and so much more, including the incredible history of the game's designer, the company Sega that backed it and sort of what was going on at the time with them, and so much more. This really is an absolutely wonderful conversation, and I cannot wait to share it with you. So without further ado, let's just get to it. This is Shenmue with Ben Reed. Hello, Ben, and welcome to the Fundamentals podcast. Cool. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. So I'm um, very, very interested to get stuck in on this because you're coming in as the second guest I've had to, to bring a video game topic to the podcast. And I think this is one that's going to be a real education for a lot of people, uh, myself included. And it's all about the game series uh, Shenmue. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, Shenmue, Shenmue. Um... Yeah, I'll be totally honest. I'm not entirely sure what Shenmue as a as a word means. It pops up in somewhere near the end of the second game. It's a, a there's a Shenmue tree, but I've never bothered oh. looking much more into the name of the game than that. Um, but yeah, I think that's uh, I think your pronunciation is all good. <laughs> good. Well, I guess to kind of kick us off then with that. So yeah, what what was your introduction to this series, and uh, what made you want to bring it to the show? So yeah, it was a bit of a surprise guest to be honest. I sent you the message and. Uh, yeah, I was just joining in with the Twitter conversation, uh, and now suddenly I'm here. So, uh, yeah, my introduction to Shenmue. So, I, I think initially I was a, a Nintendo. Uh, sorry, I was a, a Sega kid when when I was young. My first console was a Sega Master System when I was probably six or seven. Um, uh, mm-hmm. My cousins had Sega Mega Drive, Genesis, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I, I committed a cardinal sin then and went to Nintendo from from Genesis uh, from <laughs> Sega. Uh, right, right in the middle of what was like the original console wars. Uh, I went okay. to Super, Super Nintendo, and then I kind of had a bit of a checkered history with the consoles I went to. So I, I had the Sega Saturn after that, um, because I think I, I knew a bunch of people that had Sony Playstations, but I couldn't really... I used to upgrade my systems, so I would trade them in, mm. swap and get one. I could pick a Saturn up more, you know, more reasonably than I could pick a Playstation up. So I went down the Sega route again. Um and was buying, you know, Sega Saturn magazine back in the day and getting all the reviews. And then there was there was news of the, of the Dreamcast being released, the Sega Dreamcast. Mm. Um, and at that point, I wasn't really that aware of problems that Sega were having. You know, the internet wasn't really a thing. So it was just a new console from Sega that everyone was excited about. And this title was, was being hyped up as uh, a potential game changer for, yeah, for the gaming industry. But it, it was making a lot of noise. Um, some people were unsure about it. Some people... Uh, were really excited other people were just like it's too ambitious it'll never work um and i i kind of ignored it for a little while and i got a second hand dreamcast a few years after i traded in my saturn and i just happened to pick it up for about a tenner i think it was and i'd never played anything like it and it's stuck with me since since that day um just because it was like no other video game i've i've ever come across 
Um, wow. And it, I kind of went into it a bit cold. Like I said, there was no internet. There was sure. no rumoured mail going on. You had the official magazines. Um, you'd read through bits and pieces and you'd look at test shots and stuff, but there was no real hype around it. So I just picked it up, went in completely cold. And mm. yeah, it's stuck with me since then. Okay, right. So what was what was it about the game that kind of stuck with you then that sort of made this stand out from your yeah. average? So you'll find that this is like a Marmite game for a lot of people. Some okay. people just really fundamentally don't get it. Um, and other people, it's kind of their gaming epiphany or their high point. They'll never get past it. Um, and it, it's gonna. It's a really. It would be a really hard sell if it came out now because the thing that really sells it to you is the immersion. But it's not the immersion in a particularly big and complicated story. It's not a. You know, it's not a fantasy game. It's not. Uh, you know, the, like Tomb Raiders and the Metal Gear Solids of the day, where um, you're running around shooting things. It's not a fast-paced action game. It's the. Right. It, it's the way they've, um, kind of, captured the mundanity of life. And it, that sounds really dull for a video game, but <laughs> um, <laughs> it's it was little things that you just never experienced in the game before. Like the you know you, you, there's a bit of a cutscene at the beginning, um, so it probably should start to say that the, the game is just a, a simple revenge story. Um, you play a guy called okay. Ryo, Ryo Hazuki who uh, is a martial arts student in his father's dojo, and his father in the beginning sequence of the game gets killed by a, a mysterious guy called Landy who's after some sort of uh, treasure that he has um it's a mirror um but it doesn't look like a regular mirror it's like a little carved stone thing um okay. and he takes that and then rio vows revenge and vows to go after him so and that's it's a really basic premise and then after that he uh you take control of rio and you just do all of the mundane things that it's like i think he's supposed to be sort of 16 17 you would do all the things that he would would do you know you, you go and investigate you you ask around town but okay. there's little things in the game, like you have to be back by, I think, eight or nine o'clock in the evening. Otherwise, mm. you, you, you know, the housekeeper worries about you. Um, you have to go back, you have to check your watch. And if you stay out too late, you come back home. So you have to go home and go to bed every night. <laughs> um, right. she, okay. gives you, she gives you an allowance in the morning. You, you wander around town and there's things that, you, that are time sensitive. So you will go around asking these people um, whether they saw things, uh, trying to gather evidence for your... For your to progress the game and then you'll find that suddenly i think at some point you will have to wait until the evening so you have to go into a bar i think to find uh, a couple of sailors who work on the docks that might know about the chinese mafia and things like that but you the bar doesn't open till five o'clock in the evening so if you go sure. follow that storyline through at 9 a.m and you, you get there you have to wait until you have to wait until 5 p.m in the evening and each in-game hour is four minutes in real time so you have time to kill literally have time to kill there's no way of skipping it you just have to mm. wander around and do things. So you, uh, this was kind of before the, this is kind of like the, the first ever kind of open world game. Um, yeah. That, I mean, there's loads of them now. It's just, it's just the norm. Like um, your last video games episode about Zelda and talking about Breath of the Wild, where you can just mm -hmm. go anywhere, do anything. Um, there's so much to explore. Yeah. Um, with this, they tried to do that, but this was 1999. Like you couldn't, Mm. It, no, nobody had ever done anything like this before nobody had done anything this big the game isn't online so there's not extra stuff you can download so when you had time to kill you literally had time to kill and like you went to a shop yeah. and bought things to feed a little pet cat that you'd found maybe up the road and um there was <laughs> okay. there's in there's in-game arcades so you yeah. can go you can go to the arcade and play uh things like space harrier and outrun and play darts and things like that and win prizes and it's literally there to to, to kill time while you can progress the clock and 
and find the next point in the game that you need to interact with, which now sure. would be really tedious. But back then, you'd, you'd never seen anything <laughs> like it. So if you if you sold this to a, a you know current generation gamer, they'd be like, nah, <laughs> I'm not. That's mm. not selling it to me. There's nothing to do. Uh, you get bored and you just move on. But back then, it was just kind of mind blowing that they'd gone to this much. The level of detail mm. was just was just unparalleled. Yeah, do you know what? The more you talk about it, the more I'm thinking like, yeah, I don't know if I've ever heard of a game doing stuff like that before. It does sound quite unique and. I think you're definitely right. This generation now, we, we would struggle to get our heads around something like that because you you want to skip time or you want to you know fast travel, yeah. those sorts of things. It's a complaint I often hear about um, in sort of gaming circles is people saying, you know, if a game doesn't have fast travel on something, people get really, really aggravated by that. Yeah. Because they just want to get to the thing. But then I'm kind of with you. I'm like, oh, actually, if it makes sense within the universe that the game's establishing, then yeah, it adds to that immersive experience. You know, yeah. just to kind of put yourself in that character's shoes a bit more. Absolutely. I mean, you you start the game off in the family dojo. It's at the top of some hill, I think, and you walk down into the, the local town, and it's a very sort of rural Japanese settlement mm. with a couple of little shops. Um, I think it, even at the beginning, I think the first few minutes into the game, when you first go into the town, you, you stumble across an old lady who just needs to find mm. someone's house, and you help her get to the house. Sure. For no reason. You'd help her get to the house, and I think it's just trying to trying to get across the sort of character that, that Rio is. He's a nice, helpful, polite kid. So he yeah. helped the old lady find this person's house, and that was it. There, there, was, there was no plot point. There was no, nothing to gain from the game. There was no item you retrieved, nothing like that. You just helped her to the park or helped her to the mm. address, uh, and that was it. But it had it had uh, an impact on you or an influence on you, sorry, as as the gamer because you you realised what sort of character you were, you were controlling. He wasn't just mm. hell-bent on um, going out for revenge and, and murder. He was... A sort of rational kid mm. um and you could kind of put yourself in into those positions i was i think it, it, it's kind of important to know at the time as well the games that were around then were things like tomb raider metal gear solid um mm-hmm. there was obviously all the zelda games that happened in the past on the genesis and mega drive federal platformers uh there was nothing that was rooted in reality nothing that was rooted in real life um mm. and i think to its to its credit and also its detriment it was very I think it was very representative of the little Japanese um, towns and cities that it was trying to portray. Maybe at the detriment of the, you know, the game to the Western world because okay. the culture is is that different and the environments are sort of very foreign to us that so we don't really understand it. But if you were into kung fu films and world cinema and stuff, you you probably feel right at home in there. Yeah, yeah, I and mean, like, and I'd say that's kind of respectful, right, as well to take the environment and the characters and their background in, into consideration yeah. when building it. They built what they knew. Um, it was mm. obviously made by Sega. It was, it was produced by a guy called Yu Suzuki, who yeah. was kind of like Sega's Miyamoto. Um, okay. Uh, Miyamoto being the Nintendo creator behind pretty much every uh, huge Nintendo IP from Mario to Zelda to Kirby and things like that. But um, yeah. Yu Suzuki is fascinating. He, he, um, he worked for an uh, arcade division of Sega called AM2. And he was popularizing. He was he was a hardware engineer more than anything, and he was popularizing uh, stuff that we've become a bit kind of just we're just used to it now. These, so you play games like with you know PlayStation VR and the Nintendo Wii with the motion controls and things like that. He yeah. was producing games like Outrun um, okay. and Hang On. And if you ever went into a, an arcade in the nineties or even early two thousands when there were you know still a few around, and you, you'd see those motorbike games where you could get on the bike and tilt them to steer, that was mm. him. 
he created all right. of those. He was building those motion controls before we even, you know, before we'd even sort of considered motion controls for the home market. He was building those in arcades. Um, oh, okay. So he was behind Shenmue, and he's it's kind of um, like he was untouchable at the time. He was definitely a Miyamoto character, and Sega's pushed so much money at this game um, mm. because, and they gave it to Yu Suzuki because you know why wouldn't you but uh unfortunately it didn't really pay off towards the end so mm. it, Shenmue it never really the people that love it love it and the people that have never played it a few would be interested if they picked it up now um if mm-hmm. they've got if they have the right mindset if they go into it with the right mindset to pick up a game they know is going to be dated but you know you mm. want to appreciate where things have come from it'd be a bit like going back and listening to the Beatles now people don't like them but you kind of mm. need to appreciate what they did at the time and how it's influenced things going forward. Um, sure. But yeah, it was a Japanese company. They obviously knew their their um, demographics very well, so they built the game uh, using storylines and um, environments that they they knew very well. Um, and it it kind of worked. Um, it, it felt gritty. It felt very Japanese. Um, but it 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 didn't work in the states. That um, it bombed. <laughs> So, ah, right. So, so it, you think it was kind of the, the different environment, the slow pace of it. It just perhaps wasn't what they were expecting. Yeah. So there was two games that came out initially. Shenmue One, Shenmue Two came out a couple of years later. I think they were both produced around about the same. They were both produced in in line with each other, so there wasn't a big gap between them. But Shenmue Two okay. didn't get a release in North America. It came out over here, but it never right. got a release in North America, which didn't help Sega's case. Mm. Um, and then obviously the Dreamcast was their last console. It it failed. Um, I was looking at the stats before it came on, um, and just for a bit of co- uh, a comparison, so the Dreamcast shipped 9 million units. It came out mm. in November 1998, shipped 9 million units, and they discontinued it in 2001. They tried their best to beat Sony to the PlayStation 2 launch, um, which came out in October 2000, but <laughs> their PS2 sold 155 million units over its lifetime and lasted 13 years. Wow. Okay, (laughs) (laughs) it was. It's fair to say it was trenched. (laughs) Yeah, just just a small small gap there, right? Okay, that's fascinating. But I've I've got it here. So it's um there were three games in total. Is that right? Yeah. So there was twenty years between um Shenmue two and Shenmue three. So another another reason that this uh this series is is gone on as long as it has is because there's a bunch of diehard fans like myself, um, Mm -hmm. a bunch of other people around the world that. You got to the end of Shenmue 2, and um, the story wasn't finished. It was it was supposed to be a 16-chapter story, I think, and I think the first two games have maybe the first... It's either the first four or first six chapters in them. So you right. you meet the you, you get to meet this Landy guy at the end of Shenmue 2, and you have a fight with him on a rooftop. Okay. And then he escapes, and it stops. And then there's nothing for 20 years. Because right. the Dreamcast, the Dreamcast died. Um, Yuzuzuki had a bunch of other failed projects after it that he tried to sort. Of, he had a big sci-fi epic game he wanted to do, but he also did try and make a Shenmue online game uh, as online gaming got a bit more. Shenmue Mobile they tried and uh, failed as well. So Sega mm-hmm. didn't want to put any more money into it. So Shenmue Three came out uh, twenty. When we now twenty twenty two, I think it came out in. I want to say like twenty nineteen, something like that. Twenty nineteen, twenty twenty. Possibly, uh, possibly a bit earlier than that. I'm not think sure. So. It was I'm announced just... in 2015. <laughs> uh, it was announced in okay. 2015. I, I remember the announcement. Everyone got excited by it, but um, mm-hmm. it was crowdfunded. Um, Sega didn't have anything to do with it. There was this big online campaign to give Yu Suzuki the license to 
to, mm. to take it and carry on and, and run with the story. So we do have right. part three now. Part yeah. three is there. Yeah, I just had a quick look. Yeah, um, Wikipedia is was 2019. Yeah. So I'm fascinated by this, and I, I kind of love this. I love when fans get behind something that they're so passionate about that it just it kind of forces companies to say, do you know what, we'll take another run at this. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I guess the build-up must have just been growing and growing over time, right? It was something you just used to keep Googling every now and again, just in the hope yeah. that you might find something new. So in between... Yeah, in between Shenmue 2 and Shenmue 3, I think a few little fan sites popped up and mm-hmm. you would just hope to hear something new, but Sega were having none of it. And then suddenly, I think it's what tends to happen now, people monitor um, their main name registrars to see sure. if they can spot any patterns in there. They do it with Apple releases and all sorts of other stuff. But I think somebody spotted the fact that uh, Shenmue HD had been registered by Sega. So we ah. knew that there was uh, an HD remaster of Shenmue 1 and 2 coming, which... Sure. would make sense if there was a Shenmue 3 in the pipeline because they'd want to try and ship some more units of the original games to get people up to speed with, with that before yeah. they, they launch the third one. Um, so I bought my PlayStation 4 much earlier than I would have done based on the fact that Shenmue 3 was coming and then I still had to wait another mm. four years, I think it was, for it to come out. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> was, this, this game was just killing me. Yeah, but that, that's really cool. So yeah, because I'm just reading it up on here, yeah. Uh, June 14th, 2015, it looks like there was an announcement that it was coming. Yeah. And another four years later. I mean, has, do you think that's kind of given it a bit of a resurgence then in amongst newer gamers as the sort of hurdles that we've mentioned earlier? Have they kind of tripped people I've up been, still? So I've been following bits and pieces on uh, YouTube and various... I'm, I'm curious to see what other people make of it because I'm a lapsed gamer, really, with okay. just life in, life in general taking over. I think Dreamcast and was probably my last console i got really excited about I got, i've owned consoles since playstation 3s 2s and stuff but it's mainly to kill time play arcade games and that kind of stuff i don't mm. can't think of another game i've really got into since since sure. shenmue and i think it's just it's just an age thing um stage of life you don't get to play video games as often as you used to you can't spend that time uh dedicated you know sinking yourself into it for hours on end so sure i, I just kind of i've stopped but um shenmue 3 I haven't played it all the way through. I played a, a reasonable chunk of it. Feels like Shenmue. It it looks prettier. It's been built with something called the Unreal Engine, and it looks it looks amazing. It looks like a current gen console. But all of mm. the weird bits and pieces, all of the things that made it Shenmue, are still there. Um, mm. And I think that's really cool. But new gamers would look at it and say, "What is this?" Like this. this <laughs> the, if you've if you've not done it, I, I suggest just go and have mm. a little look after this. Um, have a look on YouTube for Shemu and dialogue. Just just Google Shemu dialogue, um, okay. and the the translation is awful. It, it's comical. <laughs> um, the the conversations you have in Shemu are really strange. Like people, the inflections on people's voices are a bit weird. They don't match the question that was asked. Um, okay. Sometimes the responses have got absolutely nothing to do with what you've asked. And and the reason for it is um, when it was launched, when, when sorry, when Shemu the, the original Shemu has been developed, it, it had a budget of like forty million dollars or something. It was. It was immense. Um, and I think for a bit of context, the most expensive video game, it was the most expensive video game in history until Grand Theft Auto 3 came out on the PS2. Why? Um, Why? I'm, okay. not, I'm not sure what the budget was for GTA 3, but it wasn't insignificant. So Shenmue was huge. It was mm. Sega's last shot to try and save themselves. Um, so nobody had ever tackled anything on that scale before, um, including an internationalization of languages and voice recordings. It's... So Shenmue has something like 250 non-playing characters. They're all 
wander around, live their own lives. They've all got voices. They've all got characters. They've all got schedules that they live by. So this is what I mean by the immersion. You could walk around town and certain people would be in certain areas at certain times of the day because they work there and you can ask them questions. Um, right. Okay. And it, it was just the, the ambition was huge, but yeah. they, for some reason they decided to keep the voice recording and the, the casting of that voice recording in Japan, which mm. immediately shrunk their pool of voice talent down mm. to nominal numbers because not many people could could speak English in the way that they would want them to for a big dramatic or cinematic game. And I think to top it all off, where Yu Suzuki started to kind of lose the plot a little bit as a games developer, um, he only cast the voice actors based on whether they looked like the 3D models of their characters in the game, not on their actual voice talent, just whether they looked like the character or not. <laughs> so, it's an interesting tactic. Yeah, yeah, it, it didn't really work. But it, again, it's, an, it's another one of those bits that's kind of endearing. It makes Shenmue... The fans that love it just take it for what it is. The voice acting is ridiculous. Yeah. It's like watching an old kung fu film with bad sub, uh, you know, bad dubbing and the lips moving yeah. at different speeds. It's that kind of thing. And if you love it, you love it. Okay. Um, but they replicated all of that in Shenmue Three twenty years later, when we've got so much more technology and so much more knowledge about how to make these products and how to how to do these projects. Yeah. Um, but they just sort of went with it. Went no, this is Shenmue, and I don't know if it was a deliberate decision to keep the old fan base happy and you know, kind of uh, to. It's kind of move it away from new fans, which would seem like a really weird thing to do, because mm. um, they, you know, they included a, um, a an intro movie on Shenmue Three to mm. bring you up to speed with the plot. So they obviously wanted new people to play it. Um, but if you were a brand new gamer coming into it now, you would just see things that just it looks like a tech demo. It doesn't look finished. It doesn't sound finished. The the voice acting is the same cast and crew, which is kind of important to old gamers like me. But mm. I can see now that if I gave it to if I gave it to anybody who was, you know, younger than 20, they just wouldn't yeah. get it. They wouldn't get it at all. Wow. Okay. I, I'm kind of curious. There's a lot of interesting creative choices that have gone there, but yeah, I, a part of me kind of likes that. I like the fact that he's just gone with it. Yeah, um, exactly. Exactly. And, and according to some articles, I think Yu Suzuki has been um, on record as saying he doesn't play video games. <laughs> so he he's interested in the he's interested in the development he's interested in how things work and in-game mechanics but right. since he's launched Shenmue and Shenmue 2 he didn't play a modern video game and then he released Shenmue 3 so he just kind of stepped back into the role he knew from mm. 2002 <laughs> um, and has just kind of ignored the entire gaming landscape that Shenmue has helped um, shape and That's all of the wild. things that Shenmue did wrong in Shenmue 1 and Shenmue 2 that other games have kind of built on but corrected and finessed and just made better he's mm. just now he's ignored all that and he's gone back to what he knew and what he did at the time which you got to have a bit of respect for but it does seem like a strange choice <laughs> that does that kind of strikes me as odd that yeah you can be in that industry and just ignore like 20 years of development <laughs> yeah especially when your game your series was instrumental mm. to some of the titles that you know your your third installment uh, should be building on not you know not, yeah not winding the clock back Sure. So what kind of developments then did the, the originals influence? So it, it's, it's things like, well, well and the, having a, a big cast of uh, non-playable characters that all have um, mm. all have their own lives to, t to get on with, really. You wouldn't walk around, a, you know, if you go around a big 3D world now, things like Grand Theft Auto, um, mm -hmm. probably the, it's probably the closest one that is influenced in terms of both the, the timescale of development and, and the things it's, it's kind of influenced directly. But 
you have got this big free open world you can go around and do things in. You've got all these characters that will respond to you. You know, in older video games, there were just things in the background that you couldn't interact with, mm. couldn't talk to. Um, but it, suddenly everyone opened up everything. So everyone was interactive, even if it was just a really mundane, uh, you know, I haven't got time mm. to talk to you now type interaction. It, it was there. Um, they had these things called um, quick time events, um, mm. which I believe a couple of older games pre Shemu tried to do but didn't do it very well but Shemu kind of uh it i mean it's worth probably saying that nobody had ever seen any graphics like Shemu before either the dreamcast was was 128 bit i think um back in the days when that used to be important so you had 8 bit with the nes 16 bits nes people mm-hmm. were going 32 bit with the playstation dreamcast was playing on that and it, it said it was 128 bit so when the the tech demos for Shemu were were released Nobody had seen anything like it. You know, faces moved properly. Um, skin uh, reacted to, to movement. There was flowing material. There was all this this other stuff. So in other mm-hmm. games like Tomb Raider at the time, you when you got to a cutscene, it was a pre-rendered short film. So it yeah. took you out. It took you out of the game. So you went from the gameplay graphics to the rendered video, which was always smoother, mm-hmm. always nicer because it was built by a different team, had a bigger yeah. budget, and you could pre-render it into video so you could make it look as good as you wanted. Shenmue got rid of all that. There was no, there was no cuts to video sequences. It was all in game, um, and to try and make those a bit more interesting, they put these quick time events in, which was basically a, a combination of button presses at the right time. So, if, like if you were chasing someone through a street and a box fell out in front of you, you'd have to quickly press the left button and, and move mm. out of the way, otherwise you fell into it. Um, and it, it was a bunch of things like that. And I think that was popularized in things like Resident Evil Four. Um, there were I mean, there's, there's a bunch of other... So I think Zelda's got a few sort of quick-time event-type games as well, um, where you just... Instead of having this, this cut sequence where you can sit back and watch it, you're, you're involved with it. Um, there right. was a, it, it. It didn't take you out of the game, out of the flow of the game quite as much as, as you had in the, in the past. Mm. Um, the, I mean, the other bits and pieces, there was... I think the, the day and... The, the day and night thing is kind of a important as well because this Shenmue has a passage of time you have to complete the game within a real time period I think it's set in 1985 and you've got from December until maybe February the next year to solve it so if you waste time it it just finishes so it kind of puts a lot more control in the player's hands it's up to you you're not being led down a particular route to go and do what you need to do if you choose to waste time playing in arcades all day every day and not solve the crime then the game's over you're done <laughs> you have to go back and start again wow um, okay so I, I, yeah i think i don't think any games have really picked up on stuff directly from shenmue because i think it showed a lot of games what not to do so i think this level of immersion <laughs> only really worked for shenmue so if you were to try and copy it and clone it exactly as it was then people weren't interested so like you said uh, you mentioned just now about you spoke to gamers who don't like the fact you can't skip passages of time yeah that was probably because of Shenmue and people were just saying, it's, I can't just kill time all the time. You know, I need to move. Mm. I'm interested in the story. I want, I want to move it on. Um, so in Shenmue 2, they actually changed that. So you could, for time-specific things, you could say you could wait around and go and explore or you could jump forward. Um, mm. They introduced a little mini-map as well. So uh, like a heads-up display on the screen where you could see where you were at any point in time um, in Shenmue 2. You didn't have that in Shenmue 1. And I don't okay. think there was any other sort of massive... There, there were no other big world video games at the time that that had a world that big you'd need a map um yeah so i think the 
one of the big influences was the scale of the project, the scale of the world, the scale of the game. Suddenly that had just got bigger overnight and people had to mm. up the game a bit. Um, uh, yeah, it. I think it's probably more, the more I think about it now, it, it told people what not to do. And that's where Shenmue 3 feels a bit dated already mm. because it's ignored of it's ignored all of that progress all of these other games have made um telling things what not to do and you know skipping time and being able to being able to go off the rails a bit because i think what shemu tried to do was was give the impression that you weren't constrained you were in this world uh, and you could do what you want but actually there was still quite a linear plot going on you had to do things in a certain mm. order but you did have this kind of pseudo freedom in between that to to go and explore the town but you would end up in a lot of dead ends straight away whereas now you've got things like breath of the wild where you can do things in any order you want um no matter what you choose to do that you, you shouldn't be blocked um i think like, sure. you can get you can go to the main boss in um in breath of the wild in the first two minutes of the game if you really wanted to you wouldn't win but mm. you could do it <laughs> um yeah but shemu gave you this idea of freedom without actually giving you the freedom i think a lot of other Sort of big open world games built on that and actually gave the users the, the freedom to do what they wanted to do in the order they wanted to do it in. Sure. Okay. In terms of it being like an open world game there, was it sort of one of the first to properly have a go at that? It was the first, I think, yeah. So, okay. And again, it's it's worth remembering this is in the offline days as well. So you, mm, you yeah, had yeah. these two, 250, I think the, the number is, non-playable characters that you can interact with. Yeah. And there was no internet connection so they obviously tried to create this huge world full of people and characters without anybody anybody else getting involved it was all just committed to that disc and it was on your system in your house yeah um, whereas now you'd log into you know a 3d world and uh, yeah things like Fortnite, and you just go in and play with your mates you yeah you couldn't do you couldn't do that then so the idea of having all these characters you can go and talk to and interact with was 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 unheard of i think it is incredible to consider that they did that you know for this first attempt and as you say it was on a, a brand new console at the yeah. time and it's yeah i was thinking about that, actually the internet side of it because the only other sort of open world games i can think of are usually stuff that they do have an internet connection of some f form even if they're not necessarily reliant on it they're always kind of hooked mm. in you know in case yeah. someone needs to sneak in and do a quick update or they need to drop a new characters in or whereas this is just like no what you get's in there and that's yeah. it but but they pulled it off that's it's something impressive. I'm fascinated with, with with old video games and what frustrates me, I think part of what led me to become a lapsed gamer now is that I hate mm -hmm. the fact that I put a disc in and everything updates. If I don't plug my PlayStation okay. in for for six months at a time, it's mm. two hours before you can play a game because it has to update the console, it has to update the game. Um, right, okay. Whereas with you know the old Super Nintendos, the Mega Drives, the Dreamcast, the old PlayStations, it was committed to disc and that was it. Mm. It had to be a finished version because it was going to be, uh, that was the master release and then it was just going to be copied worldwide on mm. lots of physical discs and there was absolutely no way of releasing any patches to it which is mm. what we have now we just take it for granted that that, that happens but yeah to, nobody knew what they were doing with Shenmue like nobody had done a, an open world game before so everything mm. was new they did some things really well they made some weird decisions in in other mm. uh in other areas but you can't knock the ambition just say oh yeah no. we'll just do it but but Sega it, it's worth uh, sort of exploring a bit where Sega were mm -hmm. at the time um, have you watched yeah. the High Score uh, series on Netflix? I have not. No, I have heard about it though. It's it's worth watching. I mean, if you, even if you don't watch the whole series, there's I think it's episode two or three um, where they go into the sort of Sega Nintendo uh, mm -hmm. console war, the, the original console war. Um, Sega were were behind Nintendo hugely in sales and numbers. I mean, talked about numbers briefly. 
they never did that well, but they went with the Sega Genesis, uh, Sega Mega Drive in the UK, mm-hmm. and their 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 goal was to dethrone Nintendo. That was it. That was right. Their, their, that was their that was where they were coming from, and they did it, and they did it in a spectacular way. They were there was nobody better at marketing stuff mm. than Sega back then, um, and they they did it. I think Nintendo went from something like a ninety three percent home console market share to Sega taking like sixty percent of that um, mm. within twelve months. Um, and it was it was incredible, and they they were riding a big wave of success, and then they just didn't see they didn't see Sony coming, so they panicked. Mm. Uh, PlayStation came along, and and kind of shook them up a bit, so they they rushed their they tried to rush to get this thirty two bit technology, and so they had a Mega CD add on for the Mega Drive, which mm. they rushed out, and nobody really knew what to do with. They had uh, another add on for the console called the thirty two X, which stuck in top uh, in the cartridge slot. And just gave the Mega Drive a, a big power boost, so you ended up with this Frankenstein console of yeah, um, a CD drive, a cartridge drive, a secondary cartridge drive, all because they kind of lost focus on what they were doing. They had that laser focus to take Nintendo out, and they mm. they they did it, but they they struggled. So they just threw money at things, and one of the things they threw loads of money at was was Shenmue, and they threw that much at it at Yu Suzuki mm. to with his record of arcade games, and you you just would throw that at him. It seemed like a safe bet. Mm. Um, but I think the ambition of the project just got the better of them. The the Dreamcast didn't sell the numbers they wanted to, and ultimately it was a big flop. So it it kind of this is where the sort of Marmite thing comes from. The people that were there at the mm-hmm. time that picked it up and loved it, um, loved it for all it was. Um, but for everyone else in the gaming world, it was just a really big ambitious project that went a bit wrong. <laughs> sure, I guess that's that's kind of the risk you take, right? When you sort of yeah. are the first to try something out in your industry. Yeah, that's often the way is people will look back retrospectively and go, oh, they did this and it pioneered all of this new technology or these new ways of doing things. But at the time, it's, yeah, it can be a bit hit and miss as to whether people really appreciate it or they just dismiss it as being a bit too much, which I know it's kind of a shame if if that's the case, because from what you've told me, it just sounds like this thing that's it's quite revolutionary in, in many ways, you know? Yeah, it's kind of sad that it doesn't get the the love that I think it, it deserves it it has got its faults um mm-hmm. it's got many of them but i think sure. because it is first of type it's it's worthy of attention uh, it, there's a lot of other things that wouldn't exist if it didn't exist right exactly and your first attempt isn't going to be perfect you're going to no. stumble along the way it's going to and you can't help thinking that if it was released for the playstation you right know, sega sega are now a uh, a third party developer like they stopped developing consoles after Dreamcast failed, mm. um, and they've never they've never released one since. So now they release things for Nintendo, they release things for Sony. So you can't help think if if they'd have gone down that route in the first place and not tried to build on the hardware that was already failing them in the market, mm. that they if they just you know put the brakes on a bit and maybe thought actually we've seen the PS2, it's coming, mm. we could probably use that hardware and make yeah. this game more of a success. But they were pinning their hardware success on Shenmue. And it didn't sure. work. So yeah. it, it affected the you know, it affected the budget that Yuzuzuki had to do anything more with it, which is why we've waited twenty two years or something to get the, the next instalment. Sure. Yeah, I guess it's that thing of too many spinning plates for a, a business, which Yeah, and they were all happen. crashing at the time. So Well that's it. I mean, yeah, I, I again I'm not a huge gamer, I don't know a lot, but I know famously there's and I've saved actually the Netflix documentary, as you said it, I found it, I'm gonna gonna keep keep an eye out for that. But you know, I, I know that 
in the kind of build up to what it is now, where it feels like you've primarily got like sort of the big companies, like you've got your Xbox, your PS, your Playstations and your Nintendos and everything else is kind of just scrambling yeah. in the sort of build up to that. There's many companies that have come and gone and there's many a landfill filled with, you know, Ataris and <laughs> famous <laughs> consoles like that, that just people pin their hopes and dreams on and then just crashed and burned in the process. Yeah, that actually that high school series has got an episode on that uh that Atari game you're referencing, the ET game. Yeah. Where they did actually bury it all in a yeah, <laughs> they buried it all in the <laughs> desert in Nevada and claimed it never happened until somebody dug it all up. Yeah, it's it it is sad. It's, it's supposedly I think we're getting another Shenmue because apparently the story's still not finished. Like I said, I haven't played through the, mm. the entirety of Shenmue 3 yet, but apparently the story's still not finished. So I, I think I don't know if it's just something that they need to let go now. Like we got mm. Shenmue three, everyone's happy, but let's not take it any further. This is, I mean, mm. I think I, I'm my my choices of you know the the media and the pop culture that I love seem to be plagued by this. I'm a big Twin Peaks fan. And we had right. to wait twenty years between Twin Peaks season two and three. Ah, okay, okay. <laughs> so if the original two came out again, um, I love the original Twin Peaks season. Mm-hmm. It's got its faults and its flaws. It's like a uh, a really weird comedy melodrama in certain places, but a really good horror film uh, mm-hmm. in other places. Much like Shenmue is a, a really good, uh, it's got some really good fighting elements to it. It was based off the Virtua Fighter fighting engine. Um, so okay. that was already mature and, and released for the sake of Saturn and released in the arcades and they built on top of that, which was great and that felt right. But then there's other bits that haven't aged so well and then you have this 20 year gap between part mm. two and part three, which is what we got with, with uh, you know Twin Peaks because... I think season two was twice as long as season one and people got a bit bored of it and it just got mm. stopped and cancelled. Nobody wanted to invest in it. And then, you know, then we get season three, which is, which was brilliant, but weird. And nobody really understood it, but we might be getting some more. We might not. Who knows? It just mm. feels like another one of those things that we need to let go. Like we got our part three. We got everything that we wanted out of part three, I think, from that crowd sure. thunder. So just maybe move on and do something else because we've seen now that Shenmue three is, I don't think Shenmue four would suddenly become like the, the next best uh the next best game on the on the, the new generation consoles and taking everything that Shenmue 3 didn't have in terms of all of the learnings and things that we've made in between that mm-hmm. i don't think Yu Suzuki is the guy that would take that and go right we're just going to revolutionize this because like you said he's never played them so <laughs> i don't think he would know how to make that game um he's just going to make another weird Shenmue mm. game which would appeal to a tiny amount of people um and you're never going to get a budget for it Possibly not. Yeah, so maybe someone else needs to have a crack at it then if they're going to finish finish this off. Yeah, maybe. Or I, I think that the the route that's going to go down now there is a an anime series uh, released oh. through uh, Adult Swim. I think it's available on Crunchyroll. Okay. Um, uh, anime streaming service. Um, yep. Mm-hmm. I've seen the first couple of episodes of that. It's uh, it looks really good. It looks like a sort of Studio Ghibli artwork um, mm-hmm. in places, and it, it looks really good. So I think if they could just finish the story because people are mainly interested in the story you want to know you want to know what happens we've waited this long we want to know if rio succeeds or not so make it into a film extend that series do what you need to but maybe not make another game sure yeah in terms of the story then yeah did did you sort of find it quite compelling playing it along so it kind of strikes me as a bit of a noir kung fu thriller yeah it's got yeah it was it was it was definitely a reason to to keep playing you every time you met uh every time you basically got to the next uh, non-playable character that you needed to meet to, to progress the story. It was like a bit of a cliffhanger. You go, oh, right, okay, I'll go, go here and do this. And you were exposed to another part of the world. So it just, mm. the, the plot kind of kept you moving through the universe um, as well as being um, 
been uh, yeah being quite quite intriguing. It was it, you know it's a it's a Japanese family who were attacked by the Chinese mafia for some mysterious object they had in their in their basement, and you you find out a lot about the dad's backstory and why he was maybe targeted, and you mm. end up I think in Shenmue two you travel across to China, so you end up in a whole new world over there, and you mm. meet all these different characters and these different cultures and um these different gangs and warfare and these all these weird characters and it's mm. yeah it keeps you interested part two is definitely more um playable and faster moving i think one of the complaints about the first shemu is like i said it was the mundanities of life and i find that sure. fascinating but a lot of people wouldn't so they took that on board in shemu too and everything's a lot faster there's more going on there's more side plots there's more there's more storyline in general um okay. and it, it benefits it benefits from it um but yeah you you follow you're following this chinese mafia it's just like you said it's a it's a kung fu noir type mm. thriller you you never know quite what's coming who's going to be involved um and the protagonist is is um you know very absent throughout the whole thing sorry the antagonist okay. is very is very is very absent throughout the whole thing you you pass his name around a lot and you see a lot of his henchmen and you get passed from pillar to post trying to find him mm. and when you do find him the game ends and it's another cliffhanger. Uh, yeah, so, sure. so you're still tracing this guy in 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 part three. So I'm not again like I'm not sure where where the plot goes in part three. I'm, I'm playing it now, but uh, it's it's keeping me going. But I do get the feeling that people would be a bit uh, fatigued by this whole thing if they get to the end of Shenmue three after twenty years and they go, oh, we just got to wait for another one that we don't mm. know if it's going to be made again. Um, sure. Are we going to wait another five, six, seven years for it? Probably not. <laughs> people will start mm. losing interest. Yeah, possibly. So maybe it's just a case of keeping it shorter and, and simpler. If they do a fourth part, do it as like a, a, a download you can buy and, I don't yeah. know, maybe have it just a bit less less of a bigger release, you know. I think maybe extend it. Um, extend the series. I think the anime series mm. is the way to go. Like, the plot has okay. got legs on its own. You don't need the... It, Shem, the One of the, you know, the, the key thing to Shenmue back in the day was that nobody had ever seen anything like it before. Sure. But now the game games industry is is just in a different place to where it mm. was back then. We've seen it all before. We've seen all these game mechanics. It's not providing anything special. We okay. just want to know what the story is. We and that's that's now the interesting bit to the Shenmue fans. We just want to know what happens. So I think I yeah. think the anime series yeah. is the right way to go. And it's really well produced. It looks really good. Yeah, that's kind of fascinating as well. It it sort of ties back to the uh, Zelda conversation I had with Matt that mm. it's often the struggle right of adapting video games. But it sounds like this might actually be a good way of of doing it. it might be one of the rare series that works in an adaptation given the the story and, and the characters and and what it's telling then yeah giving it over to a yeah. uh, an anime studio makes a lot of sense on paper actually i could see what that how yeah that absolutely yeah the, the zelda thing would be really hard to yeah to make a film out of because of the yeah i mean you covered it all really well in that episode but the, the multiple split timelines the the fact that link is not really one character mm. he's he's a sort of he exists in various points in time in this world. So you'd have to create a film that was just an entry into the Zelda timeline rather than try and con convert Zelda to a film that had a, a narrative running through yeah. it. But yeah, Shen Shenmue has this uh, linear narrative plot. It's just a murder mystery. Yeah. Um, it's hard and that's all it is. Uh, so mix it with some Kung Fu action, mix it with a good anime studio, give it to studio, maybe not studio Ghibli. They tend to be a bit more, uh, uh, family friendly than that but I'm, I'm sure there's a studio out there that could take it and do it justice i'm not entirely sure who makes yeah. this this current one but but yeah i think you're right it could be it it could be the one the video game that has the stronger plot than gameplay <laughs> yeah and that's that's quite rare and it's it's kind of funny that 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 is the thing that now holds 
more water, you know, 20 years down the line, whereas when it first came out, from what you're saying, it's it's the other way around. It was more that it was the innovation that really grabbed people's attention, but now everyone else has caught up with that. So yeah. that's, that's kind of fascinating how it sort of almost switched over in terms it's of It's gone full circle, and I think yeah, it's yeah. all down It's all down to the fact that Yu Suzuki just isn't interested in innovating anymore. He just wants right. to build what he wants to build. Um, but what he wants to build is... 20 years old now so sure it, it it may be that you know if if it was i don't know if it was if you would get a sense that the next shenmue game was going to bring something that new and that disruptive and create as much noise as the first one i'd absolutely yeah. want to see that game made mm-hmm. make it in virtual reality put it on psvr do something funky with it do something cool with it but you just know you just know it's not going to happen <laughs> Yeah, I was, I was going to ask, yeah, what, what would be the innovation? But that makes more sense. Yeah, VR seems to be the new step forward in terms yeah. of game innovation. So, I mean, maybe, because you mentioned earlier that in the first game introduced an interactive open world element for the first time. So maybe that's another yeah, way of I'm, it coming full circle. Who knows? I mean, VR is, to me anyway, VR is missing its its go-to game, its go-to experience. Like I've got PlayStation mm-hmm. VR and the... It's good to do the demos. I've I played a couple of games and it's it's quite impressive technology, but there's nothing that's made me think this is awesome. I need to buy this. I need to go out and, and experience this. It's a bit like three D three D films. You know, it's cool sure. that you can do it. You you sit and watch it and it's quite impressive. But are there any films that absolutely benefit from it if you didn't have it? There's not mm. many. Probably not. Um, mm. But I think if you had something that was tackled in the same way that the original Shenmue games was were tackled maybe with a little bit more professionalism uh, people know what sure. they're doing now but yeah. but if you if you were to to go at it with the same uh intensity and want to make something that game changing i think vr would be a really cool way of doing it yeah yeah you could make it even more immersive and i'd imagine something like that it would be a, even more intense to play you know like when yeah. just thinking of doing like quick time events or even just bumping into people in the street and them responding yeah, you suddenly that. got people all around you as opposed yeah. to just people you, yeah the other thing i mean it could go it, it could uh it could all implode on itself because one of the <laughs> right. the plot points in shenmue one is you so you get given this 500 yen allowance every day by yeah. your uh I, I, I always thought it was a grandmother but i think it's a housekeeper okay um, she gives you 500 yen every day when you get up in the morning you, you go out and spend it on what you want um but at some point you have to get to china you have to try and get your um, your fare, your airfare mm. or ship. I think you end up going on the ship in the end, but you have to get your fare together. And there's no way that you can afford it. You go to the travel agent and it tells you how much it is. I can't remember off the top of my head what it is, but mm. you'd have to play the game past the um, the timeline that I spoke about in order to make that money from just collecting it every day. Yeah. So you have to go and get a job. You have to go to the docks and you have to get a job as a forklift truck driver and you mm. have to do work in the game. So again, it's the mundanity. Again, you have to go and get a job. So you have to go and train for the job you have to drive a forklift truck for eight hours a day so eight game hours being well, eight times four you know you gotta play it for a decent chunk of, chunk of time and it doesn't leave right. you much time for doesn't leave you much time for interacting with the rest of the story and the rest of the world and exploring much like having a real job mm. gets in the way of you doing all the stuff you want to do so if you were to go down the vr route and become that immersive would you want to recreate those mechanics of you getting a job probably not because <laughs> you're not mm. you're not going to want to come home from your day job pick up your video game put the headset on and go to work. That's yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, you're not going to do that. I suppose, yeah, the the, uh, the escapism 
element of the gameplay would very quickly leave you. Yeah, unless <laughs> yeah. you really, really wanted to be a forklift truck driver and that was your dream. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. you come out of the nine to five office job and you, you get on your forklift and you've never been happier, then that might work for you. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> but then I would say forklift simulator. Maybe that's maybe that's <laughs> yeah. the game you want. I'd, if that exists, it should do. Um, There's yeah, many okay. other simulators that do. Exactly, but yeah, maybe that's it. Then it's, it's embrace that, but then embrace the kind of VR side, but then perhaps lean a bit more into the uh, the second game. I guess then. Yeah, make of, it more of a video game than an experience. Yeah. Um, they actually coined a term for it. It was called free. Um, so you okay. went from having like. Uh, I went from having like platform games and um, mm. sports simulators and things like that to this this free, and I think it stood for full full reactive eyes entertainment or something. It was something that Sega tried to coin to 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 make clear how special and how different Shenmue was. But I don't mm. think I've ever heard that applied to any other game. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. That's really cool. I mean, who knows? Who knows what what they'll what they'll go for as a as an option? You mentioned earlier that that they um. They tried spinning this off a few times, sort of mobile games and things like that. Yeah. Um, so I think Shenmue 1 was 1999. Shenmue 2 was 2001, I believe, because the Dreamcast was put out of production in 2001. So I think it was fairly close yep. to the, the end of its life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, Suzuki just wanted to carry on innovating this world. He wanted to carry on building it. So they, they tried to do, I think it was in... None of them have ever been released. I think they've all been canned. But there was a Shenmue Online, mm-hmm. um, which I believe was supposed to be uh, one of these MMORPGs thing, the big online, massively multiplayer online RPG yeah. set in the Shenmue world. Um, but it kind of lost... It didn't... It wasn't... Um, I don't think it was canon, if you like. It wasn't part of the, the Shenmue... It wasn't part of the Rio okay. revenge story because uh, I don't see how it could have been. It's such a linear story that... Yeah. Like the next version of Shenmue, if there was another one, like wouldn't benefit from becoming a massive online game with lots of other players because the story is so personal to the character you're playing. Yeah, that you don't need the interaction with the with the online world. So, Shenmue Online, I think, was a bit like a bit like the Warriors. You could join a gang, um, yeah. and Rio, the character, was kind of there in the world, um, but he wasn't. You weren't playing him. You were playing in a gang that were. It was going to be trying to either help him or attack him or something like that. I'm, I'm not entirely sure what it was, but because I think mm. the vision was never really clear, it never got released, it was never realised. But there was there was marketing websites, they put it all up, but it just sort of silently fell to the side and, and never carried on. Mm. Um, and there was a mobile game that kind of went down the same, uh, the same route, and I think that was probably very early iOS Android days when they had these new platforms that they could maybe do something with, but... Again, because of the nature of the story and the things that people were interested in, these little quick games just didn't didn't hold any interest for people. But the Shenmue mm-hmm. world isn't that interesting because the Shenmue world is just Japan. It's sure. not. It's not like you're getting. I'm not. You know, I'm not slagging off Japan in the slightest. Like, <laughs> no. I'd love to go, but it is just a place you can visit. It's not like you can escape uh, to another another realm, another world, like you do in Zelda, like you do in you know Final Fantasy games. It's sure. It's the real. It's the real world. So unless you're following the story, unless you're following the the characters, you become is so involved with over the last 20 years the games the other games just won't work and i think that was where they failed mm. well, that's fair enough and as you said earlier i mean if you know the, the, the actual story is what's drawing people in then it kind of makes sense that spin-offs would struggle to grab people's attention i guess yeah for sure i mean it's i i 
I'd love to see someone a bit more creative get hold of it. I'd love to see someone mm. like Miyamoto get hold of it and see what they could do with it, see where they could take it. Yeah. Um, give it to Nintendo, see if they could do it. Cause, I mean, mm. Nintendo, despite never selling, I mean, the Switch and the Wii mm. sold huge numbers, but if you were going to say what the core games consoles are that people owned or uh, that hardcore gamers would play would be Xbox mm. and PlayStation. Sure. Um, but Nintendo have always sat there with really, really strong um, IP. You know they've got Zelda, they've got Kirby, they've got Mario. So no matter what they, as long as they release those, those mm. games and those properties and those titles, that they're going to succeed. People will go and buy them. So I think if they're really good at at building uh, legacies and worlds out of characters and stories, so I think they'd be, it would be brilliant if if they could somehow get hold of this. But I I just don't see it happening. I don't think the draw is is big enough now. Mm. I think now we've had Shenmue three. I don't think the the thirst isn't there for for a new one. Right, yeah. I mean, I'm just sort of having a quick look here. It sort of says, yeah, the, the reviews and the, the reception was kind of mixed. I mean, I imagine for amongst part three, the, yeah, I'd imagine for like yeah. fans, you know, crowdfunding, they were probably super happy that this this happened, and that's great, and I love it. But yeah, if it's if like you say, if it's still not innovating or if it's not, there's doing a anything guy new, on YouTube who's put together mm. a video saying Shenmue Three is a terrible game, and I've wasted my life. Ah, uh, um, no. <laughs> so he's a big, big diehard fan. His, his videos are really good. I've, mm. I've come across him in just researching um, for this, but okay, he um, he makes some good points. He makes some kind of bad points as well. Mm. But not bad points, you know, his opinion. But I sure. think that the uh, there's there's going to be one of a handful of ways you're going to react to Shenmue Three. You're going to be like me, who just wanted the same Shenmue game that I've always had, and I want the story to carry on. Yeah, you're gonna have people coming into it new who want something fresh and new. Mm-hmm. Um, they might fall in love with it. They might not. Probably won't. Mm. Um, and you're gonna have what this guy had, which was he'd waited this long for it. He was a massive fan. He was following all the build up, all the releases. He got a hold of it, and he hated it mm. because he's a he carried on being a gamer. He had yeah. moved on over those twenty years. He played all these new modern games. And he felt like he'd taken a massive step back in Shenmue Three, um, and just hated big chunks of it that made the original so good and it's now made him question what he loved about the, the first ones <laughs> um and i think that's where people are at now that the mixed reviews are the 10 out of 10s are going to be people that are just going to love it regardless because they've got it in their hand they finally sure. got their release they crowdfunded it they got it the the one one out of 10s are going to be from new game reviewers who just say what the hell is this this yeah. is it was an old hack game back then it's an old hack game back now, you know, like now so we're mm. not interested and then you get these middling reviews of people that really want to love it but have been mm. disappointed by it interesting well i think regardless of of what you feel about it the thing i'm taking away from this is it's almost like this forgotten piece of of gaming history you know it's something that come that came along and the things that you've talked about you know open world and interactive uh sort of background characters the things that we just take for granted now you know you can get yeah. almost any game and that's you just kind of expect it yeah you expect it to be you know, people describe these triple a titles now triple a yeah. titles didn't exist back then i think shemu could probably be considered one of the first ones of those it was right it was at a scale nobody ever had seen before and it made everyone up their game um mm. but yeah it does feel like it's forgotten and it, it's i think you could probably do a whole episode on on yu suzuki himself because he's, sure. he's a bit of a tragic it's a bit of a tragic story because mm. he was like i said he was if you walked into an arcade in the 90s you saw his you saw his work you saw the the bikes you could sit on and physically play the games you saw the mm. cars you could sit in and drive for outrun um you had things like Virtua Fighter, Virtua Racer. Um, he 
he was a pioneer for everything. I think um, Virtua Fighter on the Sega Saturn and the was an arcade port of his mm-hmm. Virtua Fighter arcade machine, and I think it's it's um, mentioned as one of the first ever representations of 3D characters on screen. Right. Like he was he made the first ever 3D video game, um, and whereas mm. like Miyamoto has just gone from strength to strength at Nintendo, releasing Zelda mm. after Zelda and Mario after Mario, and they've all been big successes. Yu Suzuki just seems to have been on a decline since his sort of heady arcade days, and Shemu was kind of the start of it, which he's kind of dragged it down with him. And the fact mm. that he's come back now is with Part Three being just a continuation of Part Two with no real. Uh, nothing's moved on mm. is both admirable and a bit sad <laughs> um yeah he, he seems to have lost the innovation he seems to have lost the drive to to do anything new and funky he's just gone with what he knows that's fascinating yeah i just had a quick look at the the list of stuff that he's been developing and yeah it's a very extensive list and uh i just think yeah about i mean those... you would have played one of his games at some point in the past even if you're not a big gamer you'd have seen something so. this guy worked on absolutely yeah i mean you mentioned the uh the bikes and stuff like that that was right up my dad's street you know i have memories of going <laughs> to arcades um there's one still open down in st i's cornwall uh where some of my relatives live and i have like vivid memories of my dad who is a biker you know in real life yeah. would jump on one of those Sega super bikes, you know, and, and yeah, do the yeah. whole moving around. And yeah, it's I stuff mean, like just that. Think, is, just is think wild. how innovative that was. Cause yeah, yeah. If absolutely. you think of the, the Nintendo Wii, when that, when the, the Wii first came out and you had those remote controls, the game that everyone loved when it came out was bowling. Yeah. And the Wii bowling game was so good because that controller mm. was so accurate in how you go bowling you you know yeah. you, you run up to the tv screen and you throw your control pad towards the tv screen and you bowl mm. um much like getting on a bike you get on yeah. a bike and you lean to steer it it just feels natural if you know how to ride a bike you know how to play that game mm. um, and that was 25 years before mm. before the week he was in, innovating this sort of stuff years before decades before mm. and it just seems to have stopped yeah that's wild i think that's absolutely wild but yeah, I just wonder if maybe he just got burnt out after all that time. And I mean, if just if you look at the list, it's he's in the nineties in particular. I mean, ninety six. He's done one, two, three, four, five, five games in one year. Yeah, you know, and it's yeah, that must be exhausting. <laughs> must yeah, be so exhausting. And he was producer on a bunch of other stuff as well. So just reading yeah. through the Wikipedia page now, um, like I said, I used to have a Sega Saturn, so I had a lot of these games. But mm. he worked on the arcade stuff, and then he went oh. Yeah, topical now he worked on afterburner um which was mm. like the flight simulator um sort of top gun type game back mm. in the day and that you know you would have a lot of people would have played that and he he innovated the gyroscope cabinet that that came in so mm. when you would sit do you remember the old um the old sort of virtual reality sort of 3d rides you could go on you yeah. kind of got into like this big box that was on big pistons and it moved you around yep it was all based on gyroscopes and stuff that he'd put into video games he he was kind of the godfather of that that kind of thing but wow you know, he he worked on stuff like Virtua Fighter and Virtua Racing, which were mm. then picked up by Sony and turned into things like Tekken and Soul Calibur. Everyone had Tekken who had a PlayStation when it came out. Right. Tekken yeah. was the sort of logical logical um, next step from, from Virtua Fighter because Virtua Fighter was all about the how to most accurately portray martial arts in a video game. And right. how they got the motion capture and stuff in and it was all very technical and you were pulling off like genuine martial arts moves and then Tekken took that and made it for the everyman who just wanted to have a beat him up with their mates on a, a Friday with a beer. Like, sure. You know, he, he was behind a lot of this stuff. Wow. 
That's incredible. Yeah, that's that's the kind of thing you expect from someone who's, you know, an innovator or like the top of their their game in an industry is to just to have this almost like never ending influence on, on like yeah. affects so much else that came which, afterwards. Which is why Sega threw so much money at him to try and save the Dreamcast. You Makes can, sense. I mean, yeah. I mean, you would. You're looking at his history. You look. I mean, take that as a CV. You say, yeah, he's an open check. Yeah, we think you can help save this console, but yeah, it didn't. It's a bold move, you know, and I find it fascinating when you look at just briefly looking at his his list of games there that he's doing all this stuff with, uh, you know, racing and fighting and sort of very action heavy kind of stuff to then set turn around and go, I'm going to make a noir <laughs> thriller, yeah. you know, slow paced kind of game. It's like I bet they were sort of thinking, what? What, yeah, what, what's this? I, 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 I don't <laughs> know doing? where that came from. Yeah, because they had the, like I said, it was based on the Virtua Fighter engine. So all the fighting sequences and stuff within Shenmue yeah. are, if you can play Virtua Fighter, it's like a stripped down version of that game engine with a big right. RPG engine wrapped around it. Yeah. Um, and within that, you've got the quick time events and you've mm. got, um, you know, you've got this whole uh, living world, which the rpg game and the fighting game happens to exist in so that kind of exists on its own it, it the mm. other thing that's fascinating is that the i didn't realize this until i started playing the remastered versions i was playing with the settings but you the weather in the game is based off historical weather data from yokosuka in japan in 1985 <laughs> when the game is based wow. like it's just baked into the game it's the, the attention to detail was just was just nuts and you wouldn't see that now uh, mm. that that coincidence i find it odd that i didn't know that until now because when i was at uni way too many years ago now mm-hmm. um i did a i did my dissertation on online 3d worlds and i had to build uh, a 3d walk around world as part of it and i used weather data from the internet to power my my in-game world right I, I started doing that without even knowing that he'd done this on the game that i played a million times before um which was a bit mind-blowing when i found that fact out when i was getting information together ready for this yeah that is it's maybe that was part of the challenge then i guess was bringing all of these elements together and it was just some, something different, something new. Yeah, you can just imagine the the, the brainstorming sessions. Mm. Somebody there must have been going, come on, you, just just chill chill out a bit. Stop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just imagine them getting excited in the corner and saying, yeah, and we can bring in weather from, weather from you know, 1985 and you just yeah. see people there before the internet going, I don't know how we're going to do this. Yeah. <laughs> somebody, somebody give them a sedative, sit them in the corner, <laughs> just build the game we've got to build. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're great ideas, but executing them's a it's a whole other thing but in fairness it seems like they pulled it off so incredible yeah and it's it's i'm just reading through it now it's and then again just from our conversation it yeah it strikes me as one that is as it says here has gained a, quite a lot of a cult following and will go down in history as yeah one of the greatest games ever even even if you know there's elements that you don't like about it or maybe seem dated it's you can't deny the the amount of innovation that's gone yeah. into it. I mean, you, I'm, you have I'm to impressed. admire the scope. You, you have to admire the scope of it, um, and the 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 audacity to do it. You know, to be given to be given the forty million dollar check from Sega, yeah, and just squeeze every penny out of it. Instead, sure. they could have made anything. They could have taken that and and just made a generic game that might have sold a few more copies around the world. Who knows? But mm. they didn't. They they created they created this and they they ramped it all up, which is why I think making Shenmue three was always going to be harder because Shenmue had this rep reputation of being the most expensive video game ever and it kind of flopped right so trying to get backing for any more uh, entries in that series was always going to be hard sure because even if you've got people that are really excited by it they loved it they were fans like 
like I was a fan. Mm. When it comes to cold hard cash and parting with it, mm. they're going to sit back and go, uh, yeah, I'd love to see it, but I don't want to back it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's a very expensive paycheck. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Which I think why crowdfunding works so well because, you know, yeah. nobody was really losing out on anything. Yeah, you might lose your 40 quid mm. and, you know, at least you gave it a go. Yeah, and I, and I kind of like the idea of, of doing things like that. You know, fans getting involved with something on a creative level that they're passionate about. You know, they might not have the time and the resources necessarily to get into programming or develop the skills, but you can still contribute. You know, I think about it the yeah. way like a lot of musicians or filmmakers do the same thing. You know, they'll crowdfund for their creative projects and people feel great when those things do come out. You know, they, they have a shared part of that. Absolutely. I just just had a look at the Shenmue Three Kickstarter. Mm. Uh, had sixty nine thousand backers. Oh, brilliant! Um, and they pledged six point three million. So wow. even even that was what thirty four million less than the original budget. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you yeah. take into take into account inflation and stuff as well. It's, it's not a mm. lot. And what they built on on not a lot of money is is still to be uh, applauded. Mm. Definitely, yeah. And I imagine a lot of those innovations have probably got cheaper over the years because they're just commonplace now. So maybe that helps them out in the development. Yeah, I mean, the the game engine they used was this thing called Unreal Engine, which from a, a gaming perspective is a, is a little bit like when you see a game, uh, sorry, when you see a film in Technicolor from the 70s right. and 80s where you, you know as soon as you look at it that this mm. is a Technicolor film. It doesn't even need to tell you. Everything that's made with the Unreal Engine looks like it's made with the Unreal Engine. It looks very, very pretty, but very, mm. very fake and very mm. plastic but very detailed and, and, and looks good. So all of that, mm. they didn't have to, they didn't have to write the, um, the gaming world engine that they had to write for the first two. So I guess they could just put all the money into plot points and sure. Yeah. Building, yeah. Building the game out as opposed to building all the tools to build the game. Mm. Fascinating, man. Yeah. I, I really find this so interesting just, just to learn <laughs> about it. I've never heard of this before. It's, it's one of those, like I've looked at that picture that's in the, um, the uh, Wikipedia of like the main characters and yeah, I'm not sure if it's my brain playing tricks on me, but I'm like, I'm sure I've seen that guy before <laughs> somewhere. I mean, maybe I have, maybe I've seen a copy of the game somewhere on a shelf and just not realized yeah, what it was. Quite, but quite possibly the, um, you may have come across, uh, I don't know how much time you waste on YouTube. Like I do, but <laughs> there was a, a series a few years ago now called mega 64. Did you ever come across those guys? A comedy series? No, it's worth it's worth checking out. They they do a lot of parodies of video games, mm. and uh, so like I said before, Rio has got some questionable lines mm. uh, in the dialogue, and the conversations are a bit weird. Uh, and he's he's got a very distinctive pair of blue jeans, leather jacket, white t shirt with his black spiky hair. Mm. Uh, he's got a very very identifiable look. And there's a guy who dresses up as Rio, just going around asking people these really weird questions, like you know where I can find sailors and um, <laughs> love it. Uh, <laughs> A bunch of other things. It's just going around to these poor, poor folks in America. They're just looking at him, going like, "What? I don't know what you're talking about?" <laughs> yeah, the same, the same video crew actually. The same, uh, the same series had a guy dressed as a Tetris block in one video as well, and he right. was going around just trying to fit against things. <laughs> so he was like the, he was dressed as the L-shaped Tetris block, and he was walking around Walmart just fitting against shopping trolleys and doorposts. That's and brilliant. <laughs> it's worth watching. It's yeah. quite old now, but it's like a video game in Jackass. That's hilarious. I'm going to check that out. That sounds brilliant. <laughs> Uh, I, I'm just curious, Ben, is, was there anything else you wanted to sort of bring up with this uh, gaming series? I mean, I feel like I've covered a lot of ground and I mean, I've certainly yeah, learned loads, but yeah, is there anything else that you wanted to, to bring up? No, not really. It was just a, 
just an excuse to talk about Shenmue, really. I wasn't expecting <laughs> when I sent you the message to be on here. So uh, oh, of like, course. Oh, it'd be really nice. It'd be really great to hear an episode about Shenmue and then yeah. doing it. So yeah. Totally. Yeah, no, it's good. It's um No, I just wanted to try and just maybe if you know, if we can influence anybody from the current generation of gaming to go mm. and play it, just give it a chance. Just give it a chance and and just appreciate where all of your modern, nice, mm. finished, polished video games come from. Um, then yeah. it, it'll be good, you know. If we if somebody listens to this and gets gets excited about it, then then that's done the job. I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. If anyone's listening to this and they do end up uh, doing so, then yeah, by all means, reach out to both of us. Let us know. That'd be that'd be great to hear. I love hearing that from the show when someone's like, "Oh, I heard this on an episode, so I went and checked this thing out, and it's really cool." It's yeah, yeah. I'm more than happy to talk talk Shenmue to to anyone. So brilliant. I guess on that note, then yeah, where can the good people find you if they do want to? slide into your dms and chat all things Shenmue. yeah well unlike a lot of your other guests i'm not yeah i'm not a creator that's um, okay at the moment I don't, yeah i don't have a podcast to to advertise or anything like that but um i'm on twitter as at dark breed mm-hmm. um if anybody wants to get in touch with me um and i've got a fledgling it started off as a music blog mm-hmm. um a couple of years ago called um some tiny little space uh named after a, a dave hall's track um mm. and it was I was going to use it for um, just cataloging the music I listen to and things like that. But uh, I invent, I ended up doing a bunch of YouTube playlists of alternative versions of, of songs that um, I love. And I, I love, I also love hearing the acoustic versions and live versions and doing a few posts about that, but mm-hmm. uh, it became really time consuming. So it's been a bit, bit neglected over the, over the years, but I am thinking off the back of this, I might do a couple of articles on Shenmue. Um, tempted to sort of dive into a few other pieces um that we talked about here a bit uh, in a bit more depth and go mm. that way but yeah I've, I've got nothing to really nothing to really uh sell or market so yeah <laughs> if you want to find me twitter is the best place yeah that's absolutely fine listen i'll link to both of those and yeah i hope you do get back to it i'll put it in the show notes people can go and check it out and i think you know there's there's nothing wrong with i think having a go and sometimes with creative stuff just if you need to take a break that's absolutely fine um but, yeah life gets in the way definitely yeah so. it does it does but <laughs> I appreciate you giving me your time coming on here and, and sharing this very fascinating piece of gaming history. No problem. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for coming on the show. <laughs> no problem. Thanks for having me. And there we have it. A huge thank you to Ben for coming onto the podcast and sharing your love of this absolutely fascinating video game series. I hope you guys enjoyed that podcast just as much as I enjoyed recording it. If you want to go and check out Ben's blog, which is actually really good, I've been checking out myself. The links are in the show notes where you can go and have a read of that, as well as find his Twitter handle and say hi and, you know, let him know what you thought about the episode. I'm sure he'd love to hear from you, as would I. In fact, you can reach me on Instagram, Twitter and email, all of which are linked in the show notes as well. Any and all feedback you have for me would be greatly appreciated. It's a nice way of just sharing episodes as well. If you're on social media, doing that goes a long way to supporting the podcast and just getting it out there for more people to hear, really. Uh, And again, if you do, make sure you tag me because I'd love to say thank you. If you want to support the show and go even further, the best way to do it is to leave me a lovely five-star review or rating on your favorite podcatcher. There are a number of podcatchers that do it these days. I believe Apple, Google, Spotify, Podchaser... If you have left me five stars on any of those or another one that I don't know about, then please let me know. Again, my contact information is all linked below. Email, Instagram, Twitter, 
any way you reach out to me to let me know you've done that. I would greatly appreciate it. And of course, I would love to read out your review and give you a shout out. Or if you've just left a five star rating, you also get a shout out. It really is the least that I can do. If you want to go that one step further and contribute towards the podcast in a financial way, then I would, of course, greatly appreciate you doing that. There are a couple of ways of doing it. There is a coffee donation page, which basically means you can just donate directly to the podcast. Or you can head over to the Tee Public store, which features the fantastic artwork designed by Alex. His details also in the show notes. And yeah, you can buy yourself a lovely piece of merch that features that wonderful artwork. You can get yourself a mug, a t-shirt, a pin badge, whatever you fancy. There are frequent sales over at Tee Public, so make sure you're following me on the social medias because I like to highlight those. You can save yourself a bit of cash whilst also supporting the podcast, which again, I greatly appreciate. Thanks again for checking out the podcast. If this is your first time here at Fundamentals, welcome aboard. Love to have you. Make sure that you are subscribed and following all that good stuff so you don't miss out on this weekly podcast. There is some truly amazing stuff coming up in the next couple of weeks. I have never been busier with the podcast. I have some wonderful guests coming up with some absolutely fascinating topics. So make sure you stay subscribed. In fact, next week in particular, I have a returning guest to the podcast, someone who is in high demand, but rarely does podcast appearances. So make sure you're here for that. You don't miss out. Until then, take care of yourself. Go and check out Shenmue and I will see you next week. 